subscribe. Pressbox Banter is the Daily Iowans weekly sports podcast. Each episode, we will talk about local, national, and international sports, host a special guest, and talk predictions for upcoming games. This week's edition features Iowa field hockey goalie Mia Magnata, our first student athlete guest. It was recorded on Sunday, October 8th. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Press Box Banter. Um, stay tuned for an interview with the field hockey goalie, um, Mia Magnata. And my name is Matt, the pregame editor. Colin, the assistant sports editor. And I'm Kenna, the sports editor here at the DI. All right, starting off, um, homecoming game against Purdue. A win, but an ugly win. 20-14. to 14, The offense flat out, if, if flat out stunk. Defense, special team, save the day. Usual Iowa win. Just want to throw out some stats out here, though, about the offense. I mean, obviously, Deacon Hill, he was a little jittery in the first half. It's understandable. It was his first ever start um, at, in first ever start in college. Um, and, you know, he had a passer rating of 1.0 at one point, but he got that up to a 78 by the end of the game, so props to him. And But here's some stats I want to point out. Six three and outs in the red zone. Um, the Hawkeyes gained a total of negative three yards and zero targets to, or zero receptions wide receivers, and only in about, like, 10 targets. Um, I was at this game along with Matt. It was pretty painful to watch at some points. Um, Having Caleb Johnson back on offense, um, I think, besides the defense and special teams, Caleb Johnson was the only bright spot on offense. Um, basically, the running game was pretty good, and LaShawn Williams tacked on, I think, 75 or 78 yards as well, something like that. Um, but, I I mean, Iowa, I don't think there's any other team in the country that depends as much on their defense and special teams to win games as Iowa does. And I was talking about this a lot yesterday with Matt, but um, Iowa was only up... By 13 points. Well, we got up by 13 with like 14 minutes and 24 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And that was on a touchdown pass from Deacon Hill to Eric Hall. After that touchdown pass, we did not pass the ball at all the rest of the game. We were just trying to chew clock, which is usually what Iowa does. And I get it. But then again, um, at the end there, I mean, Purdue had the ball with like two minutes left, down six. And if the Iowa defense didn't come in clutch like they usually do, you know, we would have lost. So, I don't know. I mean, that's just how Kirk plays the game. Um, It's not unusual to see, but I just kind of wish Iowa would, I guess, just try and score more points instead of just run, run, run. It's so predictable, and... Our running game, we averaged 8.5 yards per carry in the first half, and I think that went down to like 3.5 or 3-something three in the second half. Um, so it also wasn't working, and we kept doing it. Um, 
And also, I was really surprised we did not QB sneak the ball one time, and especially down in the red zone after that Cooper DeGene interception. We were down at the five-yard line. We had we ended up settling for a field goal, but we did not QB sneak the ball one time. And on the last drive, our last offensive drive, you know, it was like third and two, whatever. You get a first down, the game's over. You just kneel the ball. But, you know, we handed it off to, I think, LaShawn and – we got stuffed and we had to punt it away and it gave their offense a chance to win the game. So I was really surprised that we did not use Deacon um, for that play because like he's he's a huge quarterback and I think that would have easily helped us on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree about the predictability of the offense. Just running the ball constantly, it works the two clock, but against a more high-powered offense, it, it's going to come back to bite the Hawkeyes. I mean, giving the giving the ball back two minutes to go, any non Big Ten West offense should be able to score a touchdown in two minutes under pressure like that. Thankfully, the Iowa defense. I mean, I don't think it was as good as last year, but it's still it's still good enough to help to help them win games. Obviously, I mean, I was I was thinking this could probably be the first game Iowa lets up less than ten points, but you know that last second that touchdown from Purdue in the fourth quarter um, negated that. Um, but yeah, I mean the defense, special teams—they're still—they're essentially just carrying this team. And that's what I got. Colin got something. They got anything to add? Looking at Kate McNamara's stats, I don't know how that's relevant. He's no longer the quarterback. Got Spencer Peters there too. I don't know why he's—he's he's a coach now. Iowa football. Took Spencer Petrus for granted. Hot take. Flaming hot take. Took him for granted. I think uh, we've taken the past few quarterbacks for granted. Nate Stanley. Nate Stanley um, was the Chicago like Chicago Bears Jay Cutler. Yeah, and like Nate Stanley, um, yeah, Spencer Petrus. I think, you know, it's not always the quarterback's fault. And I think more people are starting to realize this, and it's not all on Brian either. A lot of it is the O-line, but, like, Spencer just, he got so much hate, and I don't think it was all warranted. Nate Stanley was also got a lot of hate. I mean, but you look back at his career, and he did a lot of great things at Iowa. Some of those Deacon Hill throws were just objectively concerning. Yeah, they were five yards above the person's head and like ten yards like farther down the field. There was there was quite a few overthrows, but he said um, in the post game press conference that he was jittery and he he took all the blame. He was like, "Yeah, I gotta be better." Um, and that's when you that's what you want to see in a quarterback, someone that's willing to um, take responsibility for their mistakes. And he seems like he's willing to get better. So. And we have a big matchup this next week at Wisconsin. Hill is a Wisconsin transfer, so he's going to be starting against, you know, his old team in Madison, and it's pretty much for the Big Ten West. I mean, it usually comes down to Iowa versus Wisconsin, but this is a huge game, and I'm, you know, Iowa can't afford to have a bad start on offense and also just depend on their defense and special teams like they always do, and... Iowa also 
can't run the ball as bad as they did in the second half. Iowa needs a full, like, consistent run game in order to beat Wisconsin um, because, I don't know, we've shown that we don't target wide receivers much, and Eric All is really, I think, the only um, receiver or tight end that we trust a ton on offense. So, I mean, he can't do it all. Yeah, you guys want to take a guess at the line for the Iowa-Wisconsin game as it is right now? I saw it at 9.5. Minus 9.5 for Wisconsin is the very first one I saw. Wow. I was going to say 6.5, but 9.5. I think 9.5 is sort of a stretch. I think it's going to be a close game. But, I mean, the touchdown difference, it it definitely reveals the difference between these two teams. I mean, Wisconsin, they run a similar offense in terms of relying on the running game. Um, Tanner Mordecai. He's been, he's been an okay quarterback, three touchdowns, three interceptions in five games, um, averaging 209 passing yards per game, so nothing, nothing special. But it's the running game that really hits home for, for the Badgers. you got Braylon Allen. This guy's an absolute dog. He has five touchdowns over the last three games, averaging 100 yards per game on the ground. He's going to be tough to stop. The Iowa defense, it, it's going to be a challenge to stop him. And... Yeah, I mean, Iowa, they're not, sorry, Wisconsin's averaging 31 points on the year, fifth best in the Big Ten, and best in the Big Ten West. So, in spite of having a similar offense to Iowa, they were able to put points up on the board. Um, a big reason for that is they're actually competent in the, in the red zone. When I mean, they're within 10 yards, they can actually score. So, right now, we are recording this on Sunday, October 8th, and the next Sunday, October 15th, is Crossover at Kinnick. Um, highly anticipated matchup. It is just an exhibition game between Iowa and DePaul, but there's expected to be about 50,000 people inside Kinnick Stadium to watch Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women's basketball team. It's going to set the attendance record, and it surpasses the record by a large margin. I think the last record was just under 30,000, I think, in the national championship game in 2002. Um, Not sure off the top of my head, but um, it blows the record out of the water. And crossover at Kinnick um, mixed with, you know, the volleyball day in Nebraska when Nebraska volleyball played at Memorial Stadium, Memorial Stadium, and there was over 90,000 people there. These are just two huge events for college women's athletics and just women's athletics as a whole. Um, it's really bringing not just sports fan, but just the average viewer. They're, they're seeing these games and seeing how fun women's sports can be and how, how talented um, these players are. And so it's just really exciting. And I think, you know, women's basketball just had their media day last week. Caitlin Clark had a talk with Stephen A. And there's just a lot of excitement around the Iowa women's, well, Iowa women's basketball team. And, um, yeah, I think Iowa's primed to have another great run this year. When you say record, you mean women's college basketball record, right? Yes, women's college basketball record. Um, Nebraska set the all-time record for a women's sporting event, period. But this crossover at Kinnick will beat the record for a uh, women's college basketball game. Yeah, honestly, if so many people out of get at a watching a basketball game, it's like, I panic bought a ticket for this, and I think I have a decent seat. For those people up in the nosebleeds, it's like, how are you even going to see the court? Like, you got to bring your binoculars to see Caitlin Clark. Like, I, I mean, it's going to be fun to go to, but...
but like man it's gonna be tough tough viewing for some folks yeah and i hope the weather is good because i mean if it's not good or too cold rainy they're just gonna move it into carver um and that's obviously just gonna be a regular exhibition game and won't be at any record and it'll just be sad um but right now it says it's gonna be cloudy a high of 58 so right now i think it looks good i mean i think they'll play even if it's cold the players can wear sweatshirts or something under their uniforms it's just an exhibition game but um, you know, if it's windy or rainy, obviously it's going to be hard to shoot the ball and do anything. Going to slip on the court. I want to call the windy game. I want forty-five degrees, ten mile an hour gusts. Players and sh- players in pants and sweatshirts. You know, throw out the double rims out there too. You want outdoor hooping. Let's see. I want. I want a twenty to fifteen game. Some sicko basketball content. Chain that. Oh yeah, chain that. Yeah, let's, chain let's do it. Let's do it. No, no, yeah, no hardwood, just straight concrete. Call your own fouls. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, make it, take it too. Win by, win by two. <laughs> make it, take it. Call your own fouls. Half court. I think we're just gonna get an experience of, you know, if it's forty-five and windy, we're gonna get some true outdoor local park basketball. Caitlin Clark, from the distance she shoots threes, it's gonna be like a missile into the stands <laughs> with that wind. So. It'll be interesting, and she knows it too, so she addressed it, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Maybe, maybe Stephen A. will make a surprise appearance. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, better things to do? Stephen A. forgot about the state of Iowa. <laughs> you think so? Yes. He did say at the live combo at the very end, he was like, Caitlin's the reason I came to Iowa, and she'll be the reason I come back. So, hey, we might see Stephen A. in Iowa City sometime soon. I don't know. All right, today we're here with Mia Magnata, the goalkeeper for Iowa Field Hockey. She is a sophomore from Pennsylvania, and we're super happy to have her today. How are you, Mia? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Okay, first, I just wanted to ask how you, how young you got into field hockey. I think I was in, like, first grade. I was maybe six. My older sister played. She's four years older than me, so... Like any younger sister, I saw her playing, and I was like, oh, I need to try that. So probably around six, and then I think I started goalkeeping when I was in fifth grade. So I want to say like 11, 12. And how big is the field hockey scene over on the East Coast compared to here? Oh, I would say it's a very big sport for young girls to play over on the East Coast. Growing up in my area, um, I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania so every high school had it there's a lot of young feeder programs uh probably equivalent to like soccer in the midwest it's just another sport you picked up and what drew you to Iowa why did you come here um when I first came here initially I just fell in love with the program the coaches are great here players are the main attraction too for me I have a teammate who I played high school with, Alex Wisniewski. She's number four. Uh, so we grew up, we played soccer together since we were six. So she always gave me a good insight to, you know, what the Hawkeye family is like. So when I finally came out here and sought for myself, I fell in love with just the pride, like the Iowa pride and uh, the legacy and the history of the program. 
And I, I don't know too much about field hockey, but I just learned that it's like a really heavy ball that you play with, not a puck. I, do you know how many, like how much it weighs? No, I don't know how much it weighs. Um, less than a pound, but it's, it feels dense, denser than it is. It's not as like thick as a puck. Maybe like close to a lacrosse ball, if you guys know what a lacrosse ball is, kind of like that. Is it? Was it like scary to start adjusting to that, like coming at you as a goalkeeper? Or good question. Um, honestly, no. I think you know when you're young, it's like you're playing at the same caliber that you are at, so you're kind of used to it. Um, I think when I got to college, it definitely was scary. There's girls who are very skilled, very strong. And I was like, whoa, I was kind of scared. You know, I would definitely have some big bruises, you know, freshman year. But uh, definitely now I'm still used to it. It's very adjusted. Like how fast do they shoot the ball, at least at the college level? That's also a really good question. <laughs> I think it can get to like – it can get to like – 75 wow 60 miles an hour yeah we have a ball machine that my coach uses and we practice on like 55 65 but i think it can hit like 70 75 why were you drawn to the goalkeeper position hmm. i just honestly i'm not sure i think i just saw when i was really young i just saw someone in the pads and i was like oh i'd love to try that i grew up playing soccer and then it just stuck like i love the competitiveness like that I I can just always compete with myself um I think it's a fun position to play it's unique uh there's a lot of variety to it I don't know I just started and never stopped okay do you have any memorable memorable saves throughout your time yeah um I feel like the one that comes to mind is last year last season when we were in the sweet 16 we were playing UVA we were in shootouts um and there's like a specific one that we were in like sudden death and I was able to save it. Uh, so that was a really cool feeling. That's how, did, how did those shootouts work? Do like the, on offense, they get the quote unquote dribble up there and shoot it or there's like a set shot? How does the shootouts work? Okay, how do they work? So there's you, there's five players from each team that you select and then the attacker is at the 25 and then goalkeeper starts in the cage whistle blows you have eight the attacker has eight seconds to try to score do whatever she can to score and then the goalkeeper does whatever they can to defend it eight seconds are over either goal or no goal and then you play it out like each player each like fifth player plays it out and then whoever has the most wins and then if it's tied it goes into sudden death okay and then i just want to ask you about the team so in your opinion what stands out about this team I think just our unity. I think we worked a lot in the off season of just building a team culture that really separates us from everyone else in the country. Um, we take a lot of pride in our legacy. Lisa Salucci, our head coach, does a really f- fantastic job with just picking. You know, we're all best friends. We're all we all care for each other a lot, and I think that carries on and off the field. Um, and we just go to practice every day. We, we've really been focusing on just working hard, working for each other, and that's been the main focus. 
And I know you guys are nationally ranked. Do you guys pay attention pay attention to that at all? Do you like feel any pressure of that? Um, that's a really good question. I think sometimes you could get let the pressure get to you, but our coaches stress a lot that ranking is just a number, and what matters most is our circle and what happens within our team and in our team culture. So as long as we feel like we're doing well, um, that's what matters most versus a ranking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to go back to last season. I know like kind of the way you stepped up um, was really in the postseason. So what was kind of the process behind getting you into the cage towards the end of last year? What was the process? Yeah, like how did that come about? What was going through your mind? Um, so when Grace McGuire, who was the fifth-year goalkeeper, she's awesome, um, but she unfortunately got hurt right before our Big Ten tournament game. So it was kind of like a last-minute moment of that I needed to step up. And I th- I was very nervous. I mean, she's very big shoes to fill. She's a phenomenal goalkeeper, and she's played with this team for five years. So it was nerve-wracking. Um, but I felt like my coaches and my teammates really had my back. So I unfortunately fell short in the Big Ten tournament, but then the practice following that, leading up to the NCAA tournament, um, I felt like my teammates and my coaches were just very encouraging for me, even though I had a little bit of self-doubt. I was like, can I do this? I don't know. But uh, they definitely helped me with that, just having confidence in my ability and owning who I am. And, yeah. And then so I, I saw on your bio – um, that the your first career win was in that Sweet 16 game in the shootout victory. So I guess I want to go back to maybe the final, the winning shot or the winning save for you. Just kind of walk me through what happened and what was going through your mind. Um, To be honest, I don't remember much when I play. I kind of, it's like a different persona. I kind of have to lock in. But from what I do remember is just like, the crowd was really loud. Teammates were really loud. The opposing team. So I kind of was just like, take it for what it is. You're just playing hockey. Just go out there and try your best. That's all you can do. So I remember when the whistle blew, I was just like, okay, just got to delay the game as long as I can. Try to save, get behind the ball. And I got lucky, and I got behind the ball, and I was like, let's go. And then um, leave a shock, number 18. She actually scored the winning oh, okay. goal, and then we celebrated. And it was awesome. Um, I also wanted to ask about being named to the U.S. U-21 Women's National Team, the USA Field Hockey U-21 and Development Selection Camp. I think I'm getting that right. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of walk me through what each of those kind of entails? Um, Yeah, so my freshman year spring, my coaches uh, were like, you should try this. We think, you know, me and my teammates, we tried out – And then I was lucky enough to get selected to be on the squad. And then I was able to practice with them for a couple practice camps. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't make the travel squad, but they were able to go compete in Barbados. And uh, then the U21, they're going to Chile in December. But I think it's been a really cool experience for me. I've been able to be put outside my comfort zone in ways that I wasn't before. So... Met some really cool people through it, too. So it's overall been a great experience. I just um, got to ask, like, you've been around you've been around the country playing field hockey. What's the most difficult place to play in? Like, what's, what was a hostile environment you remember? That's a good question. I think 
what what comes to mind is same last year in the NCAA tournament, we were playing Northwestern at their home field uh, in the Elite Eight, um, and we had a great crowd, and they had a really great crowd. Uh, so there is just a lot of chatter from the sidelines. I think that I, I struggle with sometimes to like tune that out. So I kind of was hearing things that I didn't want to be hearing, but um, I mean. Northwestern's a great team. We have a lot of respect for them, but I think that game was like what comes to mind a lot when the most tough environment to play in. And then, yeah, I know Northwestern's always been a tough opponent for you guys. So, I mean, how do you guys deal with adversity, especially you know after like a rare loss? Our coaches really encourage us to look internal first. So, like, what could you personally have done better? And then we kind of bring it to like a whole team discussion or. You know, where's the root of the problem? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to tackle this head-on together? Um, which is what we've been doing, you know, post-Friday game loss. Uh, and it's tough. Sports is tough. Like, it's, there's a lot of ups and downs in it. So we're just trying to, we're trying to handle that right now. But I think we got it. We got a handle on it. Um, and we're all committed to make the changes that we need to make. I know this happens in hockey sometimes, but have you ever scored a goal as a goalie? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, no, but yeah. that would be really cool. That would be really cool. But no, I have not. Are there, like, empty netters in field hockey? Like, you pull the goalie, and then you yeah. get, like, an extra. Yeah, defender. yes, yeah. yes. So it's literally just hockey on a field. Similar, <laughs> similar, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I wanted to ask, um, you know, what's it like being a student athlete, trying to balance school and sports and also just have a social life outside of both of those things? I'm definitely struggling with that on the daily. I think it's hard. There's a lot of things on your plate, and sometimes other things prioritize, you know, your social life. Like, you know, I'm a student athlete first, so I have to put school first. And I really care about hockey, so I think those take up a big portion of my plate. Social life, I don't really have much of a social life in season, but that's okay because, I mean, I have great teammates who I spend a lot of time with. And, you know, if... I try to do what I can to, you know, mix up the routine, but um, I still struggle with finding good time management skills. But yeah. When you do, like, get a second of alone time, what kind of stuff do you like to do? Um, I like to go for walks along wherever I can, kind of clear my head, some quiet time. I'll maybe call a friend, call family from home. Um my roommates and I like to cook. I think that's like kind of takes their mind off things. Um, watch a Netflix show. Have you given any consideration to any future plans? I think it would definitely be cool to like continue a field hockey career. Um, I'm currently I study education, elementary education, so I also really like that career that I chose. So it kind of just depends. Um, but the Olympics would be cool, but. I don't know. I'm still focused on Iowa field hockey. I haven't gotten that far. Were you on the field for the game yesterday? Was on the field? Yeah. Yes. How? What are your thoughts on the football game as a whole? Um, to be honest, I don't really watch much football. Um, but I mean, they won, which is great. I think they did a good job. I think the atmosphere at football games is really cool. So it was. A really big honor to be able to go on the field and like feel the support from all of the Hawkeye fans. So when we have like our reporter 
do like articles about the field hockey team, he always um, highlights Dion Van Alsom. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you have to go up against her in practice. What is that like? Oh, she's tough. It's I mean, it's great practice for me. She makes me better every day, but uh, she's a very skilled player. So I'm really grateful that she's on my team because then I get to practice with her, but I don't have to compete against her in actual games. What makes her so good? Like what about her skill set makes her so talented? I mean, she just can accelerate super fast, and she has great control with the ball, and she's very great poise, too, when she has the ball. So it's very tough because – you know, she'll stay in the play as long as she can. And as a goalkeeper, that's hard because it means you got to work a little extra harder. So I'm really grateful that she's my teammate because I think it's helped me grow as a player. I wanted to ask, um, this is about uh, women's basketball here, and, like, Caitlin Clark, this upcoming Sunday is the crossover at Kinnick, and there's going to be, like, 50,000 people at Kinnick Stadium watching the Iowa women's Iowa women's basketball team play um and I was just wondering like your thoughts on Caitlin the Iowa women's basketball team and how they've helped grow women's sports as a whole I mean I think it's incredible especially that they're an Iowa women's athletics team I think it brings awesome press to just the school Iowa athletics and women's sports I my roommate is Cindy Falter too so I get a little inside scoop on what goes on over there um and I think they also do a really good job of building just a great team culture. Um, so, I mean, I'm really grateful that, you know, they've had the success that they've had and they've been able to capitalize on ways to grow the sport and grow morale around women's sports and Iowa women's sports. And I'm excited for the kickoff or the crossover game. But unfortunately, we have a game, so we won't be able to go. But we'll be watching and cheering them on as always. How did that pan out with Sydney rooming with her? Um, my so my teammate Ella Wareham, she roomed with Sydney freshman year in the dorms, and then they lived together freshman year and sophomore year, and then I moved in with them, uh, Mama Junior. So this year, yeah, it's been great so far. They're awesome. Well, thank you so much to Mia Magnata for coming on today. We wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Thank you again to Iowa field hockey goalie Mia Magnata for coming on the podcast. It was great to have you on. Now we're going to transition to a little more Iowa-Wisconsin uh, preview, I guess. Um, I just One thing I wanted to address was I know Braylon Allen is kind of like the big uh, powerhouse for the Wisconsin offense, but we've got to keep in mind that I'm assuming I missed the last touchdown. The last touchdown wasn't a rushing touchdown, right? Like, Iowa still has allowed – the Iowa defense has still allowed zero rushing touchdowns, correct? No, I don't that, – that last touchdown in the fourth quarter, I think that was a rush. Okay. The streak is over. So, even so, one one rushing touchdown. I think, yeah, Braylon Allen's a good running back, but I think it's going to be tougher for him to go up against this Iowa defense, and it's going to be tougher for the Iowa defense to contain him. Hmm. And I'll throw my score prediction in there, and I'm going to say uh, – 24-17, Iowa. I'd also keep into account that, no, Wisconsin's defense, they're giving up 18.4 points per game, second in the Big Ten West behind Iowa, of course. So I think this, this is going to be the toughest test Iowa has had all season, especially on the road. Um, you know, Madison, you have to jump around. It's going to be intense. So I've, I'm going with Wisconsin here. Wisconsin 24, Iowa 17. 
Blasphemous. I will never, ever pick Wisconsin to win a football game. Me neither, especially against Iowa. I'm glad I'm going to this game uh, as a reporter and not as a fan because the two times I've gone as a fan, worst experience of my life, and I never want to go as a fan again. That's all I'm going to say. I Just their fans, they yell at me to sit down. I I never sit down during games. I stand up no matter the score, and I always have. I've always had season tickets to Iowa. I'm not biased when I'm a reporter, but when my fan side can come out, it does. And I always stand up, and Wisconsin fans, they never want to stand up, and they think that even though you pay for a seat, that you can't stand in your own seat. So anyway, I'm glad I'll be up in the press box, but I think this is going to be a really tough game, and it is a great environment, and jump around is pretty fun. Um, I think I'm going to go Iowa 21, Wisconsin 17. So the student section, do they, do they sit down too? Connor, have you been out to the Madison student section? I have not been to yeah. Camp Randall. I've oh. been to Madison plenty of times. This will be my first time going as a fan to Camp Randall. I will not be participating in the jump around. Wow. I will not do whatever the dancing songs that they do. It's all, it's all. Quite frankly, it's kind of dumb. One can jump. You don't have to be in Camp Randall to jump. So, do Iowa? I just want to know because I haven't. Sa- I've only sat in the student section, and obviously they all stand up. But do regular Iowa fans? Are they standing up all the time? Yes. Yeah, I think I was so. Standing up all game yesterday. You- oh, don't sound so sad. Uh. <laughs> Why Someone's do you go to the games the then? Yeah. I'm kidding. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> wasn't but that you bad. stand for, uh, like, you'll stand, like, when something big's going to happen. But, like, when there's, like, a punt, you'll sit down. So you sit down a decent amount if you're an Iowa fan, actually. Mm, not me, but. <laughs> well, that's because you're in the student section. I wasn't in the student section. Well, when, my parents have season tickets. So, oh, like, for 10 years, I was in the north end zone. My family still sits there. But me and my uncle, Travis, shout out Travis. <laughs> we stand all the time. I went to the Rose Bowl in uh, 2016 when we got killed by Stanford, and I stood the whole entire game. That's dedication. That is a true fan. I don't know who it was. Someone asked if Wisconsin student section stands up. They do stand up the whole game, but they show up late. Like Very late. They show up like after the first like, quarter. Like, oh, yeah. like yeah, second yes, quarter, yes, halftime, yes. and then they don't stay the whole game. It's it's a little odd. It's yeah. So student sections like Maryland, it's like empty for the first half of the game. Yeah, I may not always stand up for a game, but I never leave the game early. Never. That's because Wisconsin football is no longer relevant. Hot take. Has been relevant since what? JJ Watt. Not even a hot take. Just a take. Has been relevant since when? Hmm, that's a good question. Melvin Gordon. I kind of forgot he went to Wisconsin. Russell Wilson. J.J. Watt. Ron Dane. I think that's his name. Who? Heisman, <laughs> Heisman winner. Who was the other Doesn't ring back? a bell. Jonathan Taylor. Oh, yeah? So they, I'd say they haven't been relevant for like maybe like three, four years. since. I'd give them since Jonathan Taylor. So what is that, like five years? Yeah, they're in, they're in trouble when the divisions go away. I mean, so is Iowa, but so are they. The last two Big Ten West powerhouses. And have a tough road in 2024. Yeah, I mean, whoever wins the Big Ten West this year, it's going to be their last time going to Indy for 
the foreseeable future, I would say. It's literally whoever wins this game. Yep. This game basically makes or breaks both teams' season. Yeah, I mean, this is... Wisconsin has to play Ohio State, but besides that, this is the hardest game for both teams for the rest of the season. Um, so, yeah, this decides the West. It decides who goes to Indy, and... Granted, both teams went out. Right. Both teams could very likely choke. Definitely Correct. Possible. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, it's always possible. Minnesota's not good this year, but they could come in and they could beat Iowa and they can beat Wisconsin. And we've lost to Nebraska before, so I wouldn't count that out. And I don't count Illinois out either. Sadly, poverty program, but... They got a great defensive line, let's remember that. They're still a poverty program. They put up one touchdown against Nebraska, and Nebraska <laughs> hasn't been good since JFK was assassinated, so... Kirk Ferentz, after the game yesterday against Purdue, he kind of hinted that there would be some encouraging Noah Shannon news coming. Um, he said he would verify on Tuesday what exactly that that means for the team, but the NCAA did announce, I think it was last week, that they were going to uh, reevaluate the gambling policies that they have um, in place right now. And specifically for players who do not bet on their own teams. And that doesn't mean, like, that just means betting on, like, their own teams, not teams um, at the same school. So Noah Shannon supposedly bet on an, just one Iowa basketball game. Um, he didn't bet on any football. So if those rules do change, um, there is a great chance that Noah Shannon would be able to come back and play for the rest of the season. I don't know how early that would be. I don't know if they change the rule this week and he'll be ready to go for Wisconsin or like it's going to take another month. But I just really hope he gets back on the field. He's already missed six games for something so small. He was of age when he bet. He didn't break any, you know, he didn't break any laws. He just broke an NCAA rule, um, didn't bet on his own team. And like, I just think it was a a really harsh punishment. There's people who do way worse things and do actually break the law that get a lot less punishment than that. Um, but he's already mixed six, missed six games, and he's a six-year player. This is his last collegiate season, and I think he deserves to play this year and be on the field. And I saw a lot of signs yesterday, like free Noah Shannon signs and stuff. So it's starting to catch on. But, um, yeah, we'll know more Tuesday when Kirk tells the media what's up with that. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Um, some Iowa fans had T-shirts with "Free Shanzo" on them with uh, Noah Shannon's picture. So yeah, he's the he's the cause right now for Iowa football. I mean, I remember talking last week with Ryan on the podcast, and he was saying the NCAA they're gonna they're trying to make an example out of Noah Shannon, suspending him for the entire season. But I think you know, seeing their reaction from you know fans, coaches, players, like I think hopefully they realize like yeah, they've gone too far. It's one thing to bet on your own team. But it's another to bet on, you know, certain other team at your school. Like, I'm sure, I'm not, I don't think, like, Noah Shannon had inside info on the Iowa basketball team. And, if like, it was one bet. Obviously, he did something wrong objectively, but the entire season is is excessive. Like, as Kirk said, he called it capital, he, he referred to it as capital punishment. So, I mean, I think if it's reduced, I, my prediction, I think the NCAA, they're going to listen going to bring it down to, I don't know, say three games. He'll be back. He'll play a few games, hopefully a bowl game. Yeah, that would that would be great to see. 
Yeah, and I mean, Joe Evans, Aaron Graves, I mean, we've heard how Noah Shannon, how awesome he is just as a person, but Aaron Graves and Evans, they both said yesterday, like, Noah Shannon, he still comes to every defensive line meeting, every practice, like, he's there every day with the team, and he's um, works as, like, a student assistant right now, um, since he's not allowed to play, but yeah, he still shows up, and so I think... You know, he's just put in the work, and he w- he started 27 games for Iowa before he, you know, got suspended. So it would just be such a huge thing for Iowa football, and I think just in general, the whole NCAA just changing the landscape of the gambling rules because this day and age, it's betting is a thing. You can't just shy away from it, and they need to change with the times. Whose spot does he take if he comes back? Or just rotate in there? Like, I mean, the line always rotates. Yeah, they usually always rotate. Um, and the linebackers always rotate too. I mean, Van Ness didn't even start a game last year at all. He was never a starter, so I think they would just rotate like usual. Yeah, he'll add, he'll add some much need, needed production. I mean, on Saturday against Wisconsin, not Wisconsin, um, against, against Purdue. Defensive line had six sacks. That was twice their season total heading into the game. So if Noah Shannon possibly back, that's a huge boost. That will really help. I mean, I'm not. There's no way Noah Shannon's gonna be back by Wisconsin week. But I think if he does come back, those later contests against, um, you know, Illinois Rutgers, he'll be a huge help. Thank you for listening to Press Box Banter. This episode was hosted by Kenna Roaring, Colin Boxmeyer, and Matt McGowan, and produced by me, Natalie Dunlap. <laughs>